Well, good morning. It is so good to be back with y'all. We enjoy getting to worship with you last fall and are glad to be back uh, today. Uh, thank you to Carson for reading our scripture. Uh, so in Abilene, uh, my family and I worship with the Highland Church of Christ. And uh, one of the things that I get to do is volunteer on Wednesday nights with our children's ministry. Uh, and on Wednesday nights, uh, it's the middle of the week. Kids have been in school. They're a little crazy. And so they come in and they get to play for a while. And then we sing, and then something that happens every week is called the prayer wall. And the prayer wall is just a big chalkboard in the children's ministry room where the kids take turns with some soft music playing, coming and writing their prayer requests up on the board. Uh, and these are like kindergarten to fifth grade, right? So you see a whole range of handwriting. Some kids just will draw their prayer requests. Uh, and you see different depths of things that they're thinking about. And one of the things that we sometimes talk about with the kids is, why we need to tell God our prayer requests when God already knows everything, right? And of course, children have all sorts of answers to that. Well, we need to tell God our hearts, right? That's a good thing. Uh, we get to hear what each other needs. We just need to be able to say out loud whether we are sad or happy, right? Uh, one of the things we do in our children's ministry is often not try to push them on those deep questions to find what the answer is, but to encourage them to think and engage their minds and hearts on what some different answers might be. Well, I know that y'all have been in a series for the last several weeks thinking about prayer and walking through the Gospels with the prayer that Jesus taught us. Uh, and the thing that I want to say today, if I, if I were to have our children from Highland here, one of the things I would want to tell them about the reason we do the prayer wall, the reason we pray, is that praying always does something. Right? Praying always does something. Uh, one thing that we don't know is how prayer affects God. Right? But we know that it affects us. Right? Think about different times in your life that maybe you have prayed. Maybe that was a time when you were uh, in church. Maybe it was a time when you were not yet in church and you were praying out of desperation. We know some of the things that prayer can do in us, how it can affect us, how it can shape us, how sometimes it can just be cathartic to get our emotions out, how it can encourage us at different times, right? Well, before Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, remember, he didn't say, if you pray, say this, right? What did he say? When you pray. Well, it sounds like Jesus is assuming that we're going to pray. And if Jesus is assuming that we're going to pray, then he probably knows what he's doing when he's assuming. And I think he's assuming that prayer is good for us. He knows what he's talking about. He's not going to tell us to pray without a reason, right? Well, even if we don't know all the reasons that we pray, we know some of them because we experience them. And I'm so glad that y'all have been spending the time that you have been in the Gospels. Um, but one thing that's kind of great about the Bible is that some of those big themes and topics aren't just always restricted to one place. And I know that as you've been going through the Gospels, you're getting close to the resurrection. And we're still a little ways from Easter, so I don't want to steal Stephen's thunder uh, and get, get to the resurrection just yet. So we're, we're going to pause on the Gospels and go to another place in the Bible where prayer is really important. And it's a place where we're going to see the story of Jesus come out in maybe some unexpected ways. And we're even going to see, I think, the Lord's Prayer. Not in those words, but in other things that they say. 
So if you wouldn't mind, let me pray the Lord's Prayer over us, and then we'll dig into the text. Our Father, you who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come, and may your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. Would you give us this day our daily bread? Would you forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, let me invite you to turn with me uh, to a book in the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, we're going to be in chapters 1 to 3 today. It's kind of one of the, the great stories of Scripture. Maybe you've heard it a long time ago. Maybe you've never heard it before. Uh, we're going to not dig into all the details, but look at some of the parts here in 1 Samuel 1 to 3. But just go right to the beginning uh, of 1 Samuel 1. I'm going to read the first 10 verses because this is going to set the story up for us. There was a certain man from Ramathiam, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Now, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and because the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Well, once... When they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. All right, so this is the setup. And there are a few things that might have caught your attention, right? For some of you, maybe the thing that caught your attention was this dude had two wives. Well, that was not that uncommon back then, right? In a time where many men would have died in battle, there were likely more women than men, and so a way that women could be taken care of would be for there to be multiple wives in one household. Maybe the thing that caught your attention was that the two wives were in different situations with regard to their children. Right? One of them had children, and the other had none. And if you know some of the stories of Scripture, you might be thinking, wait a minute, we've heard something like that before. I remember... Sarah and Hagar. And I remember Leah and Rachel. It seems like God is concerned about women that don't have children. Just like he's concerned about children that don't have parents. But another thing that you might have noticed is that it never said that this family is like a big deal. I mean, they're in the Bible, but Elkanah isn't a king He's not a priest. 
It's not obvious that he's rich. It, it almost kind of sounds like this is just a, just a regular old family. And a lot of us know the story and we know where this is going. But just on how it starts, it's almost like one of those movies or a novel where you kind of see something at the beginning and you're not sure where it's going. I have children at my house, and so a lot of the movies that we watch are uh, made by Disney, and so I'm going I'm to refer to a couple of those. Uh, if you know the movie The Princess and the Frog, it's just a girl in New Orleans, and she has big dreams, but her family is poor. And you kind of wonder, what in the world might happen? Right? Or Beauty and the Beast, Belle is just a girl in this poor provincial town as she sings, when you get to the end of the story, you know what's going to happen. But right at the beginning, it's not really clear. And that's kind of like what's going on here. Just a family dealing with some family problems. But some of you might be thinking, those aren't just any old problems. Because maybe you've dealt with infertility before. Or maybe a friend or a relative. Right? Uh, you know the pain that that can cause. And so while we don't know exactly what Penina was doing, it said that she provoked her. Um, we don't know if she was doing it on purpose or not. We don't know if she was doing it overtly or covert. I mean, was, it, was Penina just provoking her because she kept on being pregnant? We don't know. But if you have dealt with some of the pain of infertility, you know it's hard sometimes even just to look around and come to church when there's all these children running around. Hannah is in a tender place. And she has a husband who it seems like is trying to help her. Uh, and this is a place where I would love a time machine so I could look back and see the looks on their faces when Elkanah says, why are you weeping? Right? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Is he compassionate and she is grateful? Or is, she, is he clueless? <laughs> And she just kind of rolls her eyes. Because you notice, she doesn't say anything back. Except to the Lord. Right? Once when they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. And Eli, the priest, was standing, sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul. That word bitterness. If you know the story of Ruth, remember Naomi? She changes her name to Mara because her life has been bitter. It's the same word. Naomi has lost her, father, her husband and her children. Hannah hadn't had any children yet. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. Look what she says in verse 11. She made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Right? The story goes on. Eli, the priest, kind of misunderstands what she's doing because apparently she's praying more in her heart. Her lips are moving, but it's not out loud. And he thinks she's been eating and drinking too much. Right? And she's drunk and she's just kind of babbling. And she says, no, no, no. Verse 15 I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Have you been in a place where your prayer was just pouring out your soul to the Lord? I know I have been. Maybe you've been in that spot where there is just nothing left to do 
when you are crying yourself to sleep except to pray because you just feel alone. Or maybe it's that you're driving away from a situation and you've had to leave it there and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're ever going to see those people again. You don't know if that relationship's going to be reconciled. And all you can do is pour out your soul to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Maybe it's not so much about sadness as about anger and frustration. And there's no other way to get it out but just to yell it to the Lord, to pour out your soul that way. This is the first text in Scripture, starting in Genesis, where it describes God with the phrase, the Lord Almighty, the God of hosts. And I think in those moments when we pray, what we're saying is, God, you are powerful. I need you to use some of that power in my life right now because nothing else is working. I am at the end of my rope. Maybe you have been in some of those places. I kind of think that what Hannah is saying in the context of the Lord's Prayer is give us this day our daily bread. Um, She wants a child so badly. And in their culture, having a child was often kind of what made you a woman. And also, having a child often ensured your protection and care later on because we don't know what's going to happen to Elkanah. Right, is he going to die at next year's battle? She needs a son or maybe more than one to be able to take care of her. Just like we need daily bread, it may be that she sees that she needs a son deeply. Well, as the story goes on, Hannah prays. And when she explains to Eli what she's doing, Eli blesses her and says, May God grant your request. And look at verse 18. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. If you've ever been so sad or upset that you can't hardly eat, that is one of the things that prayer does. When we pour out our soul to the Lord, sometimes... That allows us to step back into regular life. And Hannah can do that. She's given her request to God, and now she can eat. Well, the story turns out that she does become pregnant, and she does bear a son, and she names him Samuel. And she begins to raise him. And in chapter 2, Uh, We hear a song that says she prayed. The beginning of the chapter, Hannah prayed and said, she sings this song. Carson read the first couple verses for us here. And if you read through that whole prayer, one of the things that you'll notice is part part of it doesn't really sound like a prayer. It's in the third person. It says things like, my heart rejoices in the Lord. There's no one holy like the Lord. The Lord raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. But other parts do sound like a prayer. When she says, I delight in your deliverance. All right, or verse 2, there is no one besides you. All right. Well, how's that a prayer? I'll tell you how I think it's like a prayer. I think it's kind of like what we do in our worship songs. Right? Have you ever noticed when we sing our worship songs, some of them we are singing to God directly. 
And in others of them, it's almost like we're kind of singing about God, but it still becomes a prayer, right? Uh, maybe for you, I'm, I'll just name a couple here. Maybe for you, it's the chorus of blessed assurance. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Right? We're, we're talking about God, but it becomes a prayer that we lift up to God, all right? Or 10,000 reasons, that great refrain, bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. We're kind of talking to ourselves, but it becomes a prayer because we're doing what we're telling ourselves to do. I think Hannah's song is kind of that same way. I mean, we, this morning we just sang, shout hallelujah. And hallelujah, all that means, it's a good southern Bible word. It means praise the Lord, y'all. And yet, hallelujah has become just a praise word for us, right? That we say to God. This is the second thing that I think prayer can do, right? Prayer encourages us, lifts us up when we are downcast. Prayer also gives us words to praise God. And we get those words from Scripture and from our songs, and we need that. That's part of the, another part of the prayer that Jesus taught us, right? Hallowed be your name. Well, unfortunately, chapter 2 is not just Hannah's song. There's a part 2 to chapter 2. Uh, it starts in verse 12. Uh, my NIV says, Eli's wicked sons. That's, that's the heading that I get here. I kind of think we could rephrase it and call them these bozos. Uh, if, you know, if you know the story of Eli's sons, I mean, I, I think we can say that. Like, these guys are not doing well. And if you read through that story, the reason that they are bozos is that they are taking advantage of the worship system there at Shiloh. This is before the Israelites had conquered Jerusalem uh, and built the temple there. They're worshiping in the tabernacle at Shiloh. And one thing that they do is when the people come and they sacrifice an animal, apparently what they would do is boil the meat, right? And it kind of falls apart or gets cut up. And then the priest would stick a big fork in, almost kind of like a trident, stick a fork in, and whatever came out of the pot, that's what the priest would get. And then everybody else would share the rest, right? I mean, it's kind of the original potluck, to be honest. And you read through what they say is, no, 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 no. Give us the good part first. Oh, and by the way, don't boil it, because we all know boiled chicken is fine, but roasted chicken, that's way better. Right? They're taking advantage of these animals that people are bringing to sacrifice, taking the best parts for themselves, not leaving them for the Lord or giving them to the worshipers. And then what's worse, we hear later on in the chapter, they're taking advantage of the women who serve there at the shrine. They're just there apparently trying to serve and, and help and minister to the Lord. And they're taking advantage of them too. But you see, there's a contrast. Eli the priest has these sons that are bozos. But Hannah's son Samuel, well, let's see what he's doing. Chapter 2, verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord. Verse 21, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Verse 26, the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. 
Does that sound familiar from the story of Jesus? Right? Chapter 1, we met Hannah, a barren woman just like Sarah and Rachel before her, but like Elizabeth afterward, Jesus' cousin. And now we hear about Samuel growing in favor and stature, and that's exactly what it says that Jesus does at the end of Luke chapter 2. We don't know what all his jobs are, but it says that he's in the presence of the Lord. And you know what it doesn't say, those bozos, Eli's sons? You know what it never says anything about what they did? Worship, preach, or pray. They're working for the Lord, but they're not doing the Lord's work. I think we see a contrast in this story with Hannah and Samuel and with these sons of Eli. That's going to lead us to the third chapter. Maybe the most famous part of this. uh, When God comes in the night to speak to somebody. Now, I got to tell you a story before we get into this. Um, When I was very small, uh, we realized that I was a really hard sleeper. Uh, When I was about eight years old, my dad put smoke detectors uh, up in the house. And he said, we're going to do a test. After all the kids, after y'all go to sleep, I'm going to turn on the smoke detectors and everybody's going to get up and we're going to go out to the front yard. And so that night, turned on the smoke detectors Five people are out in the front yard. I am sleeping in the bed. They said, you got to wake up when you hear the smoke detector. I I didn't hear it. Okay, we'll do it again. So a day or two later, we did it again. Five people out in the front yard. I'm sleeping in the bed. Now, that was really, really nice when I was in college, and my roommate and his friends needed to stay up studying for a test because I could just tell them, give me 30 minutes. I'll fall asleep. They'd come in, turn the light on. It did not matter. I would just sleep. And then I got married. And then, that's not going where you might be thinking it's going. (laughs) And we started to talk about having kids. And I thought, oh no. What if the children wake up in the night and they're calling out? Am I just going to sleep right through it? And I was really worried about that. And then our girls came. And it turned out that it wasn't a problem. I think because... My brain was in a different place, right? My brain was listening for them differently than I had listened for a smoke detector or the voice of my roommate. I think that matters for this text. So let's look at it. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We get another another reminder of what Samuel's doing. He's ministering before the Lord under Eli. Look at the the second half of verse 1. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Why why might that have been? I mean, does that mean God wasn't speaking to him? Well, right before this in Scripture is the end of the book of Judges. And if you you know the end of the book of Judges, it is sordid. I mean, when they say parts of the Bible are rated R, the book of Judges is one of them. But there's something that shows up, if I remember correctly, three times at the end of the book of Judges. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And that's not presented as good news, right? As Americans, a lot of times we really value freedom. Everybody gets to do what they want. The end of the book of Judges, that's, it's not good news that everybody's doing what they want. Because it might have said there's no king in Israel in a human sense, but was there a king? 
You better believe there was. God was the king, and they were just ignoring. I wonder if in 1 Samuel, the reason that the word of the Lord was rare is because God was speaking and nobody was listening. Except maybe Samuel. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now, Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. And then, really important words. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. I wonder sometimes when God speaks in Scripture what it sounds like. I'm guessing in this case it wasn't Samuel, right? The big guy, God voice, because he thinks Eli is calling, right? I guess it's just a regular kind of sounding voice. Fortunately, Samuel does not lose out on three strikes and you're out because he doesn't understand it three times. And Eli helps him see what's going on. Go lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood there. What would that have been like? Calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Those may be the most important words when we think about a life of prayer, right? Speak, for your servant is listening. Centuries later, Jesus' mother Mary, when when the angel comes to her, she's going to say, may it be to me according to your will. And Jesus himself in Gethsemane is going to say, not my will, but yours be done, right? All of those go together. I think they teach us about a posture of prayer. I think what Samuel is saying is another line from the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, unfortunately, what God wants to say to Samuel is not good news for Eli's family. He tells him basically he's going to bring Eli's family to an end. The next morning, Eli's curious. Tell me what he said. And Samuel doesn't hide it from him. And Eli responds in humility. He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Verse 19, the end of the chapter. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. 
And he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, that's like from the north to the south, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. All right, what does this text have to say to us about prayer? We've, we've had a lot of prayer in it. What, what is it telling us? And I started with four words. Prayer always does something. I think we see it in here. Let me tell you three things I think this text tells us about prayer. One, uh, the writer, Anne Lamott, has said that at the root of it all, there are basically three kinds of prayer. Help, thanks, and wow. You may have heard this before. Help, thanks, and wow. And in this text, we get some really clear help and wow. And so I think it's good for us when we read a story like this in Scripture to wonder, how does this fit with my life, right? Where are you right now either praying or maybe needing to pray Help, thanks, or wow. Here's the second thing I think this story does for us. It reminds us that prayer is always there because God is always there when we feel helpless. And there's all sorts of situations, all sorts of reasons that we might feel helpless, whether it's something very personal all the way up to events going on around the world right now, right? In this story, prayer moves Hannah from powerlessness to praise. And it moves Samuel from talking to listening. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes for me, what I need to do in a situation is instead of trying to grab onto control, because that's kind of easy for me to want to do, instead to just release my hands and surrender it to God. That can feel like, especially if you like to do things or you like to be in control, releasing can feel like being passive or inactive. But I think part of the good news is with, when it's accompanied by prayer, it's never inactive. Right? We're always doing something. We're just doing something different. I can let go with my hands and turn it over to God. Right? I can put my life my loved one's lives, my world, my situation, my needs into the hands of the God who is the Lord Almighty. And finally, I'm going to go back to something we were talking about it right at the beginning. I think we can see ourselves in this story because this is just a regular family. Right? We all have things that are special about us, and we all have things that are kind of normal and everyday. Right? Samuel's going to become the kingmaker of Israel, but he isn't yet. Right? Just like Samuel starts off small and becomes big, the hobbits start out in the Shire and end up saving the world. Jean Valjean starts off a convicted criminal in Les Miserables and becomes a Christ figure. Uh, a young girl was born 100 years ago in Albania to a regular old family, and she became maybe the most famous Christian in the world. We know her as Mother Teresa God's real good at taking normal, everyday people and doing big things. In our text, Hannah needs God. She reaches out in prayer. And we can do that. When Hannah wants to praise God, she does so in prayer. And we can do that. Eli's sons aren't praying 
and things are not well with them at all. And sometimes that's us, right? Sometimes we forget to pray. Sometimes we ignore God. Sometimes we're ashamed of something we're doing, and so we don't want to come near, and we neglect prayer. And often things don't go well with us when we neglect prayer. Samuel makes himself available to God in prayer. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And we can do that too, right? So we're going to sing here in just a moment. But I want to invite you as we sing to conversation. I'm going to be down here. uh, And if you are here today and you have wanted to pray, but you've just kind of never gotten started, maybe didn't really know how to get going, let's, let's talk about that. Come visit. Maybe if you used to pray, but hadn't prayed in a long time, if we're being honest, come down, let's talk. And honestly, if you just want somebody to pray with, come down, let's talk. And if you're thinking, I don't know you, that would be way too weird. That's okay. Look around, find somebody with a friendly face, because all the baptized have the Spirit of God. Amen? Find somebody near you to talk, but I'll be down here just in case. Let's stand and sing together.